check those clocks. It is a time to think. And for Chris Tillman and Josh Holland, it is a time to manifest a podcast into oh, existence. Boy. We just listened to an Aaron Rodgers interview, and he said he believes in he the really power believes. of manifestation. He really believes it, yeah. But then right afterwards, he talked about the divine timing. Yeah. So which is it, Aaron? Inconsistent. Is it human manifestation or is it divine timing? Worldview inconsistency, Josh. Man, what is manifesting, Chris? It is a stupid word that upper middle class white people use to feel as though their privileged status in society is owing to something other than themselves being privileged or working hard. That feels like an observation of something, <laughs> not a definition of it. What do people? If you hear someone say, "I'm just manifesting," what does that mean? It, it well, it means nothing. That's the whole point. It means thinking it, it into means existence. Means they're thinking into existence, which is which absolutely is nonsensical. Yes, exactly. I know at least one Packers fan that I'm currently trapped in a cubicle with that <laughs> would have preferred if Aaron Rodgers had manifested another Super Bowl or two. Yeah, it would have been nice. It would have been nice, but every you know year what? NFC Championship came and Rodgers goes. Doggone it, I forgot to manifest. The journey, yeah, the journey's worth it. All those though. 49ers were just, there was more manifestors. They manifested more. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's too bad, isn't it? And you know what? Manifest the, harder. You know what's a bummer, Chris? What's a bummer, is Josh? We're in a time where people can say preposterous things, and it's culturally unacceptable to laugh at because it. Because nobody takes time to think about no it. No one takes time to think, but we do. We do. We do. On Mondays, we take a little time to think in the morning. And then we go to get some lunch, yep. and then we come back, take a little bit more time to think, and then we edit and put this out so that on a Tuesday, you can listen to us yeah. thinking, and hopefully think a little bit with us. Absolutely. So A Time to Think is a podcast seeking to think carefully, think thoughtfully about issues in the culture and the church. Right now, we're in a series on relationships. So we have defined marriage in opposition to the culture's definition of marriage. Mm -hmm. We have then expounded on the ideas of picture, partnership, and procreation yes. in the church in particular for both married and then at the end of the last podcast for those who are single. And now we're kind of continuing this chain link of... Procreation. Yeah, so we, we ended with procreation. And I, I feel like I'm letting people down, Chris. Because yeah. at the end there, Manifest, Josh. Manifest it. Manifest it. At the end of our podcast, I paused us and I said, I got something spicy uh -huh. to say, but I can't say it now. And then we went to lunch and I forgot it. Yeah. So here's my, here's my hope. And maybe even a prayer. Over the next 40 minutes as we talk, I'm hoping the spicy thing comes back. Yeah. yeah. And if not... That's called indigestion, Josh. <laughs> so we're talking procreation. I think where I want to get here, Chris, is uh, not just... It's good to have kids, but what is our heart towards children once we do have yeah. them? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so what is the heart of a father towards a, maybe we could do children as a whole or father, son or father, daughter. Mm -hmm. What is the heart of a mother? What is, you know, wh what is the, the pursuit and the aim and the hopes of a young mother, a young father or a father with or teenage an kids? old mother, an old father, because I'm in the old father category now. I think there's a lot of people in our church that would be quite offended <laughs> by you referring to yourself as elderly. Yeah, well, we're both elders. You know, Chris. We're both elderly. You're as old as you've ever been. You're correct. You've never been older than you are right now. Yeah, Same here. That's a good point. So when you say you're old for you, you feel old. Yeah. But you're not elderly. Tell me about it. Okay. <laughs> but you are old enough to have a slew of kids. Mm -hmm. uh, you love kids. I'm not uh, at Kevin DeYoung level, though. I have no authority to speak on parenting. Until I reach 9, 10, 
15, 20 kids. That's Man, even that comment brings up a, a bit of a disclaimer, <laughs> which is like, it's speaking on parenting is hard yeah. because it's this unique thing that you kind of get to do once. And even if you have multiple kids, you're kind of in this parenting kids in the home stage for one season of your mm -hmm. life. Uh, it's not like a job where if you fail at it, you can go get a new job and start fresh. Uh, it leads to long, you know, like you can't just go like, oh, I get some new kids because I, I messed up. You know, you're, those are your children, right? Yeah, that's exactly um, right. And so I think that actually can lead to a great burden on a parent in a young age. Yeah. I can't mess this up. Uh, a burden on a parent in the middle portion, maybe the teenager years, like, oh my gosh, I only have a little bit more time yep. with them. And then a burden on people once their kids are out uh, yeah. of regret. So before we even give advice or reflections on parenting, can you reflect on how hard it is to even talk about parenting? It's that hard. I think the reason it's so difficult to talk about parenting is that as much as people may genuinely regret certain things or fear certain things. Going back to what we talked about last time about just the selfish disposition of the human heart, I think what I have observed, and I think this is definitely enhanced by social media, this is by trends that, that kind of grab root. And it, it, here's, the, here's the funny thing. I see this quite frequently within the church itself. Um, and I'm not saying our church. I'm saying, you know, the church at large, evangelical church in America. Just the, evangelical church? This is yeah, a legitimate question, yeah, right? You're not I, I thinking so. yeah. mainline Protestant. Correct. Okay. Correct. And, and I'll say this in part, and it's not to be offensive, because mainline Protestants aren't having kids, hmm. either because they're literally all dying, because they're all boomer or older, uh, or because those who are part of those churches now are either part of uh, a community that literally cannot have children because they're having sexual activity with those that are incapable of having children with them, uh, or because they believe that it is environmentally irresponsible to have children, right? And so within evangelicalism, we have a priority of child rearing. Would you include Roman Catholics in that as well? I would say Roman Catholicism has a different category um, simply because I, I think the virtue in Roman Catholicism is, is somewhat different um, based on the sacramental system and, you know, the reason why people have children. Uh, and Roman Catholicism might be a little bit different, but, okay. um, you know, certainly our Roman Catholic friends, we do have some overlap in certain things. And, uh, you know, just like with, uh, you know, our view of the gospel, uh, the Roman Catholic view of the gospel is substantially different in many ways uh, from what we believe is a biblical understanding. Uh, we certainly do believe that there can be Roman Catholic brothers or sisters uh, that in spite of the official teaching of Rome, you know, would, would, would share gospel truth with us. Uh, I think similarly when it comes to child rearing, um, you know, we might differ substantially as to why, you know, I, I don't think that it's, uh, I don't think it's sinful to plan your family, but it is sinful to kill your children in utero, right? And so, um, there's just a little bit of different, different perspectives. We're going to yeah. speak really primarily Okay, here. so, so primarily evangelicals, yeah. I just wanted to clarify, uh, sometimes that term gets thrown around. Yeah. What do you mean when you say evangelical? Not mainline, mainline, you know. Not mainline, non-Roman Catholic. Um, you know, anybody who would sit down and say, I'm a, quote, Bible-believing Christian. Okay. You know, I think that's just a general general term people use for it. Uh, and it does encompass, granted, a lot of different people, but it's a culture. Yeah, I would yeah. say more than anything, it's a culture. Okay, cool. There's a nice little clarification yeah. tangent. So you were going to speak about or to evangelicals in regards to the difficulty of talking about yeah. parenting. Yeah, so I think the difficulty exists because what I've observed in my years as a Christian, 
uh, functioning within the evangelical church as a pastor and just as a, as a layperson in the church at times as well, uh, is that for whatever reason, evangelicals tend to be more susceptible to, and I think part of this goes to the idea that we have about a, quote, personal relationship with Jesus that tends to dis, you know, dismiss the idea of having corporate accountability and responsibility. Okay. And tend to go off on what I would say are um, preferential hobby horses that become very divisive with other people. So there are some people uh, who would say that if you do not homeschool, your children are going to hell and you're sinning. Now, we homeschool our children, and I believe it is probably the best way of, of going about the process of educating your child. However, um, there is a, uh, a community that exists that... As homeschoolers, we have we have witnessed that basically takes this mentality and, and it becomes a devil-may-care mentality when it comes to other people providing any input or being willing to listen to anybody. And, and so it's unfortunate because there are all kinds of different sects that exist within the Christian community as it pertains to child-rearing. And our goal is not to extol our own virtues. Our goal is not to try to come up with what works. Our goal is to, what is what is God calling us to as parents? And then how do we work that out in our unique situations uh, within first our own family, but then within the context of the local church? That's what yeah. we're interested in. So you, bring, you essentially bring up a Romans 14 issue, that parenting can often be a Romans 14 issue where Paul is writing uh, in, a, in a practical section of the letter, he's writing to people wondering what day of the week do we worship on yeah. and what types of, can we eat meat that's sacrificed to idols? And sometimes we look at this and we go, how on earth does that apply uh, to us? Well, one of the ways it applies is what is a current conscience issue that is not do whatever you want, it's fine. Right. That's not what Paul is saying. Do whatever you want, it's fine. He's, he does say, though, be convinced in your own mind, but not just individually, not just whatever you think is right. Yeah. Be convinced in your own mind what is honorable and gratitude giving to the Lord to whom you belong, yeah. right? And so I think you could put a lot of parenting things in that regard is we're going to differ on convictions. Some people might uh, believe it is most honoring, most faithful to uh, engage with the community through public school, mm -hmm. right? Uh, others will find it's most, most honoring, most faithful to uh, protect in some way, yeah. to keep in the home or to take a certain responsibility for the education. Uh, both people have to be making those decisions primarily in terms of honoring the Lord, mm -hmm. right? Not in terms of self-righteousness, right. not in terms of fear, not in, I mean, it's, it's what is the most honoring thing to the Lord to whom I belong? Yeah. And I think that gives us a context, Chris, for how someone like you could say, hey, I'm fully convinced in my own mind the best thing to do here is homeschooling. Yeah. And also I leave room for people that are fully convinced in their own mind that they're honoring the Lord in other ways. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have a really hard time, especially if we feel deeply about what's good for our families or our right. children, we have a really hard time saying, and maybe that's not what's best for someone else's right. family. Exactly. Because we feel so deeply about it, right? Exactly. So that's one of the challenges in parenting is, is having Romans 14 as an example that there will be some things that you are fully convinced of mm -hmm. in your own mind that are honoring to the Lord in your family that other people choose to do yep. differently. Um, I do think the shame and uh, fear component is so... Pretty significant. I mean, you're, as a parent, you are regularly thinking in terms of what if I mess this kid yep. up? Right now, uh, if you're thinking in those terms, then 
each time you do mess up, because you will, mm-hmm. it can be crippling. Yeah. What if, I mean, uh, my wife and I have conversations where it can feel the burden of, are we doing everything wrong, mm-hmm. right? So a tough weekend is not just, oh, it's a tough weekend. It's like, are we doing this wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you deeply desire to do things right, parenting is going to mess with you. If you deeply, so you should just not deeply desire to do things right, Josh. Is that oh, what yeah. you're saying? Okay, into the podcast. <laughs> um, Don't care. If you deeply desire others to see that you're successful, mm-hmm. parenting is going to be hard for you. Right. Um, if you uh, deeply desire, let's see, <laughs> if you deeply desire comfort, Parenting is going to be hard. Yeah. It, and so there are these deep desires that we all have that, parent, that, that children kind of rub up against mm-hmm. and, or refine, um, and they cause us to be shameful or frustrated or angry or de- mm-hmm. desperate. This is never going to change those yeah. types of things. And so engaging in any way, shape, or form on what's right to do or good to do mm-hmm. in parenting can be really challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Um, given that, though, we still want to engage on what mm-hmm. is good in parenting. I don't know what question to ask here. I want to ask just like a really open-ended question it's to mm-hmm. mess with you, but... Uh, Go for it. What is good in parenting? What is good? I've told you a man what is good. <laughs> um, yeah, so w- what is good in parenting? So I, I would say that, you know, just, just by way of, you know, personal remarks here, um, I, I think being a dad is probably the favorite thing I will ever do on this earth. And um, I say that because being a dad for a man, and, and I can't speak to being a mom, obviously, I would, would suspect that women You could have try, a similar, but you shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. I would have a similar reflection, though, for, you know, in different ways. But being a dad is, is I think, a unique thing um, for a man to appreciate because it's, it's something that is, and we talked about last podcast, it's central to the, the mandate of humanity. I mean, it's central to humanity. Um, this is why infertility can be such a hard thing for people to deal with is because it's like, man, how? You know, how, how am, am I going to uh, fill the earth and subdue it? How am I going to be fruitful and multiply? And thankfully, God has given ways for that to happen within the life of the church and through adoption and different things like that. But when it comes to, to being a dad, you know, I, I think what I have so appreciated is that you you get to truly do a masculine task. Uh, there's a, a book we've gone through a couple times as a men's group uh, in, in Stevens Point called The Masculine Mandate. And the whole idea in that book, Rick Phillips passed her out in, was it North Carolina? I think it's North Carolina. He's out, out in the southeast somewhere. And, um, you know, he talks about that there is, you know, the, the cultivation and protection are, are two things crucial for a man to grow into and to, to realize about what it is to be a man. I'm guessing he's taken that from garden keep. Yes, exactly. Genesis. Exactly. And so when, when he talks about these things, like what is it to, to be invested in somebody else's life? Uh, you have a responsibility as a man to be protective of that person. You have a responsibility that as a man to, to cultivate that person's well-being. And as a pastor, we get the privilege of doing that for a job, you know, when it comes very specifically, explicitly investing in people in life of the church. But to be a dad for a man, uh, as you have the ability and the opportunity and the calling to do so, you get to explore this reality daily, right? And so you think about your responsibility towards your child, and it boils down to the most fundamental masculine tasks. Like, you can protect them, you can cultivate them. 
So I love being a dad because it's, it's really, you know, you strip away every kind of cultural traffic of masculinity, and there are so many. I mean, I don't fit some of those cultural traffic. I mean, I'm not a hunter. Um, you know, I, I don't drink beer, you know, things like that. Uh, other things, I love working on cars and building stuff. So, I mean, mm-hmm. different guys have different ways that, quote, cultural masculinity is expressed. But the basics of masculinity are expressed in your responsibility toward others, your relationship toward others, and your your responsibility to, to cultivate and to protect, to guard and to keep. That is what you are called to do. And as a dad, you get to do that. You get to do mm-hmm. that. So I think, man, this is, this is, this is why it resonates with me as a man, as a, as a Christian man, is because I get to do this. And this is part of who I am as yeah. a human being. Um, and so I, I love it because this exists for me on a daily basis. Yeah, and that a lot of what you just expressed is the heart of Proverbs 1 through 9. Yeah. Uh, the book of Proverbs is likely written primarily to cha- train young men to be rulers. Mm. So it's primarily going to be for the ruling class, young men, the wisdom is applicable across male and female, but that's kind of the intent of the book. That's why you see my son yep. hear my instructions. Listen to me, son. Yep. Uh, and the heart of Proverbs begins with nine chapters on son. Yeah. Listen to me. Don't do stupid stuff, kid. I'm yeah. a father. <laughs> exactly. Here's here's the end of foolishness and here's the end of wisdom. Yep. Here's the end of death and the end of life. Mm-hmm. My son, yep. listen to what happens if you go around the wrong street corner knowing that mm-hmm. Lady Folly is there. And so yeah. you can see this this passion uh, to guard and keep mm-hmm. expressed in the Proverbs yep. father-son relationship. My son, listen to my instructions. Yep. Take care to follow. I want to guard you from mm-hmm. this. And so I think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, and we've talked in in past episodes that some of the some of the clearly defined things that men are to do have gone by the wayside in an industrialized culture right. where a lot of work is knowledge work. It's not manual. Right. Yeah. You know, manual work, uh, warrior culture, there's some clearly defined things men are going to do. Yeah. Uh, you're going to be a warrior. You're going to be protecting the village. You're going to be doing the physically more taxing things mm-hmm. like lifting or tilling, all those different mm-hmm. things. But as we industrialize and work becomes knowledge work that can be done uh, across sexual differentiation yep. pretty equally, you go, well, what does it even mean for me to provide anymore? Mm-hmm. What does it even mean for me to protect anymore? Yep. Well, the father to the son and the daughter is still a clear ways of providing and protecting. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not just physical provision and protection. It's also spiritual provision and protection. It's relational. Relational. Yeah. And so you're, you're, oh, that's really good. As a father, you are trying to give a relationship to your children mm-hmm. where they will see what is good and true and beautiful, whether it's for a daughter to see what is a good and true and beautiful man Mm -hmm. or a son to see what it is to be a good, true, beautiful, steady man. And so you're protecting them as you provide for them that relationship. Is that maybe where you were going with the relationship piece? Sure. I mean, I got a lot of things I can say, Josh. So So why did you bring relationship (laughs) as provision then? Because I I think, you know, there was a... um, I think this actually happened a couple of years ago, but it was uh, it was a video on Twitter that came across yesterday. Somebody just put it out there, and it was uh, of this uh, this kid, a high school kid, who went into a school to attempt suicide, and he went into the school with a shotgun, and he was going to shoot himself in front of his class. And um, there was a, a teacher there, um, and this teacher was a uh, boy. I think. His, had to have been probably in his 30s. Male uh, teacher? Yeah, male okay. teacher, 30-some-year-old male teacher. Um, and 
and he, you know, African-American man, uh, the guy who's going to shoot himself was not. So it's like this, like, inter interracial, like, what's going to happen here? You know, yeah. you have this teacher because people talk about tension and stuff like that. And this and this teacher just graciously and kindly engages with this kid. And, and, and the video shows him, the security video shows him coming out of the hallway, and he takes the gun from the kid, and he gives him a hug. You know, and he just hugs this kid, and the kid just breaks down. Mm-hmm. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, you know what? And I, I read a little bit more about the story afterwards. And basically, I, I, I don't believe this teacher had a had much of a father figure in his life prior. And so he just knew how significant it was. Right. And so you look at how much our, our society is degraded just on a what we call a common grace level is, you know, the absence of fathers, the absence of dads. And, and this isn't to speak against the role of a, of a mother by any means, but when you eliminate a father from the home, you're putting a burden on a woman that is so unfair. And so a single mom can't fill the roles that she is trying to, you know, like just can't. And it's, it's an impossible task that men put women in when they do this to mm-hmm. them. And so, you know, you think as a father, okay, and, and I don't want to just specialize and talk about fatherhood here. We'll, but this we, is, we'll start with fatherhood because yeah. I'm thinking the same thing. We'll start with fatherhood. We'll progress yeah, to motherhood. Sounds good. You know, there's this unique relationship that exists because of this, you know, cultivation and, and this protection uh, that we're called to. But I just think, man, how how many kids are hurt because they don't have a dad that's relating to them? You know, I mean, I just, I'm so thankful growing up that I had a dad who, as a teacher, he was around for a few months every summer. You know, I just, I got to be with my dad all the time. And it wasn't because my dad was taking me on backpacking trips to the mountains. It wasn't anything. It was just, I watched Wheel of Fortune watch Price is Right, you know, mm-hmm. just watch shows with my, with my dad. And, you know, every once in a while we would go golfing and, and it just... Bob Barker was my dad. Yeah, well, there you <laughs> in many ways, Bob Barker was, uh, <laughs> was, was a family figure for a lot of us. But, you know, when it's, when it's all said and done, the relational aspect of a father to a, to a child, whether it's son or a daughter, I mean, I, again, I, I just think the greatest privilege I have as a human being on this earth um, apart from belonging as an adopted son in God's family, is to image God toward children. And um, it's a pretty serious task and uh, one that I, that I love because ultimately, you know, we think, we talked about the picture of marriage in the last episode. And the picture of marriage is helpful, it's good uh, when we come to understand the gospel. But then you think, all right, once you're in the family, once you're in the family of God, what is the picture that's used all the time? And it's Father. Mm-hmm. God is, I mean, that's what differentiates language from the Old Testament and the New Testament, ultimately, is that you got these people, they've got no idea what they're doing, behaving like morons in the Old Testament, uh, because they don't have the spirit of adoption as sons. And now we're morons, but with a father. Now we're morons with a father. But there is this, you know, this, this unique difference uh, between the, the, the coming of Christ, all right, the, before Jesus is coming, the the... The presence of the Spirit was different. Mm-hmm. The regenerating presence was there, but you know when you hear Paul saying, "Now you've received the Spirit of adoption as sons," which you know causes you to cry, "Dad," you know to to God. It's just a much more unique experience for believers to have. And so, to be a parent, you know, and specifically to be a father, you 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 get to image God in such a unique way. Well, that brings eternal implications, right? You know, you, our culture is really struggling with issues of meaning and purpose. You know, we see skyrocketing suicide rates. We see skyrocketing drug addiction type things because people are trying to cope with the fact that they've been 
told for years that there's really no meaning other than happiness to right. their life. And yeah. when happiness is elusive, there is no meaning or purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and so for, I think you and I would agree, men latch on to purposes. Yep. Uh, without, better or worse. Yeah. Without purposes, we can be really lazy. Yep. Without purposes, we can be really selfish. But when we see something purposeful to achieve or mm-hmm. to push towards, that's why I think uh, it's so fundamental to not just tell men what not to do. Yes. Um, most definitions of masculinity in modernity is what you shouldn't be or shouldn't do. Yeah. But there's absolutely no cultural positive vision for masculinity other than be an ally for femininity. Like the most positive. (laughs) Well put statement. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know what you can do to be a man, be nice to her. Uh And it's like, I need more than that. Don't be toxic. Yeah. And so what what I love about, for instance, the pastoral epistles Mm -hmm. is Paul says, flee these things and and pursue pursue these things. Or in terms of Proverbs, I think a guy like me often reads the Proverbs and goes, Oh my goodness, I should be more careful with my tongue. <laughs> it's just like all over the place where words are oh, many, transgression it, is yeah. sure to follow. <laughs> and and so I can easily read into the Proverbs, gosh, shut your mouth. <laughs> but what's been beautiful is I actually see a ton of Proverbs that say, your mouth is a fountain of life. Yeah. And wow, that is purpose. Yep. It's purposeful for me. It's not just don't be a bonehead with your tongue. Mm-hmm. It's... You as a man have a unique role to give life to your wife and son with your mouth. Yeah. So flee the stupidity mm-hmm. and pursue the life. Yep. And I think that men respond to that idea that like there's a greater mm-hmm. purpose. And so for, for you to say, men, in the daily toil of parenting, where your kids are going to disrupt your comfort, they're going to get in your way, all these different mm-hmm. things you have a chance to give them a picture of the Father in heaven, which will last eternally. Yep. I mean, what a purpose is that? Uh, or you have a chance, I think about the, the unique calls to fathers. Colossians, very interestingly, in its household codes, does not give a call to mothers. Yeah. Gives a call to slaves, a call to husbands, a call to wives, a call to children, and a call to fathers. I yeah. think it's very interesting. Uh, and similarly, in Ephesians, which is a very similar book, mm-hmm. there's a call... Fathers, do not provoke your children, yep. there's the do not, but instruct them and nurture them in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And when we think about the, the role and the purpose that fathers can have, um, this word instruction is much, much more than can you get your kids to articulate that Jesus died and rose from the grave. Right. Instruction, right. Uh, it, it comes from this Hebrew word that has the idea of shooting an arrow in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And so when, when Paul says instruct your kids, he's going back to the wisdom literature. Mm -hmm. And in the wisdom literature, the instruction is the way of the Lord, the path to life, the path to blessing, the path to flourishing. And so fathers are tasked with this unique role, instruct your kids in the way to flourish under God's uh, rule. And and those have eternal consequences. Mm -hmm. There's just great purpose for a father to to protect your children, like the father in Proverbs, Mm -hmm. from these things. Don't go, my son, don't go after these things. Right. Um, whether it's because I've gone after them and seen the problem or because the scriptures say don't go after Mm -hmm. them, but also to to push them towards like, my son, my son, blessed is the man, blessed Mm -hmm. is the woman who trusts in God. Blessed is the one who pursues and delights in God's word. Blessed Mm -hmm. is the one. Here's the instruction into blessedness. Um, And that's a way of guarding and keeping, Um, guarding and keeping our children. Chris, one more thing that I think I've hinted at here 
is uh, I struggle in particular with feeling like my son is, is an interruption, mm. right? Um, uh, I think you and I have discussed over the years that I like to get things done in a relatively efficient manner. If we've got <laughs> something on yes, the calendar, it starts at this time, we should be done with it uh-huh. by this time. Um, and my kid often interrupts that. And uh, there was a situation a couple months ago where I had a sick kid and my wife was out of town and I was on the phone with you and um, and I was really frustrated because I just wanted to do a 30-minute call. I needed mm-hmm. to get some work done. I hadn't worked all weekend yeah. and my kid was getting in the way. And I'm sure there's a lot of parents that are listening and go, I, have, I felt that feeling. Mm-hmm. My kid is just getting in the way. And you said something. I did you say just something. said, do you remember what you said? Not exactly. You, you said, me, Josh. Your son is important. Yeah. That's all you said. Um, if you had said, you should really focus more attention on your son, I would have been like, he doesn't, he's not understanding. <laughs> but you just, your son's important. And I've, I've thought about that a lot because my son is not just an interruption. He does interrupt, but he's not an interruption. Correct. Um, he's important. And I'll give you another little, like, real-world example. Uh, I was really, really excited for the first football game of the Tennessee Volunteers season. And it was an 11 a.m. game, and so I kind of talked to my wife and said, hey, can you, can you watch Tom? Or actually, I want to watch it with Thomas. All right, so we'll, we'll be able to watch for like 45 minutes, mm-hmm. and then uh, can you put him down, and I'll keep watching the game, and then the most of the game will be during his nap time. Mm-hmm. Um, before the game even started, my son didn't want to watch anymore. And so I'm like, well, that plan's different. And now not only does he not want to watch, but I can tell that he senses that I'm like leaving him emotionally, basically. Hmm. It was a very quick shift. He started to disobey more. He started to be frustrated with me. He didn't want to come to me. Now, Thomas is 20 years old as well. <laughs> <laughs> He's two, but I could yeah. see like, oh, he, he notices that my attention's not on him mm-hmm. anymore. And it actually led to a pretty challenging day, challenging enough mm-hmm. where I reflected to my wife, I think I might not, at this stage of our kid's life, I might not watch football till after he goes to bed at the end of the day. Mm. Because... He felt that I was gone, and mm-hmm. I felt that he was interrupting, and it led to overall a worse day for us as a father-son mm-hmm. duo. And so these are the types of things that are real-world examples that I think if we can change our heart posture to say, all right, um, there are times when, you know, there might be one Saturday this year where I say, Morgan, I actually want to totally leave the house and just go watch football. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in the room with my kid right now, he's not old enough to watch the game with me, I gotta just not watch. He's always old enough to watch football, Josh. <laughs> always. Um, any any reflections on th- things like that where you take? Oh, this is something that my heart is hard. Um, <laughs> I find it hard to be towards my kid or hard to be uh, gracious with them. But then this is maybe how I've processed and reflected on it. Yeah, I mean, I'm thankful on one level um, in, in, that I don't have really that that kind of a of a of a dynamic because my wife very selflessly we'll watch the kids, you know, and just, just if, if I have something to do, whether it's work related or otherwise, you know, it's, it's not really a struggle to, you know, to justify, you know, so I, it, it's not something, you know, perhaps somebody who's, who's in a maybe two, um, two job, two income type of home where it's like, oh, how do you compete with that? So I really haven't had to, had to wrestle with that as much in my home. Um, and, and, you know, again, mostly graciously, we'll just kind of step in sometimes and, and I take that for granted um, more often than, than not, honestly. But um, something that I, I, I learned from my parents growing up, um, my dad, my, my dad 
I, I never understood this, I think, until I was, you know, well into being an adult. But um, I thought it was normal for, for people to behave like my parents did. I just assumed that it was normal for that. But, um, you know, I remember when I was probably, had it been around 16 or 17 years old. Yeah, maybe you've just turned 17. That my dad uh, had to go down to uh, Illinois, you know, probably around three and a half hours away, mm-hmm. uh, for some certification as a teacher to be teaching advanced placement classes in high school. And he went down there, and uh, I'm not saying this to embarrass my dad because this is endearing to me, but, uh, you know, he, he was only down there for a few days, maybe a week or something like that, tops. Uh, he rarely ever did that. And it was pretty much never uh, that that ever happened. He was ever apart from us. And he called, and, you know, he was, he was crying on the phone hmm. because he missed his family. And that's because we had a pattern as a family of, um, of always being together. It was the idea, like, our, our family functions together. Our family does not function in a way where it's individuals who are, com- like, coming together to figure out what, what we can do on our own but still be together as a family. It was, well, of course our family's together. There's, there's, I'd have to justify not doing that. Right, and that's something I learned from my family is that um, whatever we did growing up, it was assumed that it would be me, my parents, and my little sisters. That was just it. And and so as a dad, I think what that's translated, what that is translated into for me is first of all, thankful for my my dad's very you know kind uh, heart as a dad, but also just the assumption that I make in my mind is like, okay, well, if we do something as a family, we're doing something as a family, because. However old a child might be, they have the privilege of being a part of something, mm-hmm. and you are a part of that with them, and so you integrate them, you involve them, and sometimes it means. Yesterday, we're watching the Packers, and Simeon was kind of being a goon, and <laughs> uh, and so he was he was mouthing off about something like, "Sit down, son. You watch the Packer game with me." It's just okay. The assumption is, Dad says we're going to do this. You're going to do it. This mm-hmm. is going to happen, but it's also understood that this is. Because it's good for us. Because I together. want you to watch the exactly, pack, yeah. exactly, and it's not because I'm trying to you know make life miserable. It's because this is good. It's good. It's good to do this, and and so I think what I'd have to say to parents generally about that type of a thing is to say like, it, your children are never a burden to you. They're part of you, you know. And so you get to involve them with it. You get to watch games with them. You get to do things with them. And. There are certainly things I, I'm still, you know, I don't like doing that, you know, it's having to twist my arm to actually do the activity itself. But, man, the heart behind it for me is always like, well, yeah, why would my family not be a part of this? And it seems bizarre for me, the idea, because God makes families. He makes Your families. children are not a burden to you. They are a part of you. Yeah. It's profound. And, I, it's, and it's hard to, there's so many things you can do. And I think that's one of the things we're victim to in a flexible um culture is like, we could move anywhere, we could do anything, we could change to any job, we could, Mm -hmm. there's so much flexibility that anything that hinders flexibility is seen as a burden, right? This could keep me from doing that. And so right now in a stage of life where I got to be home by 7, 15 PM almost every day, unless I'm asking my bride to take the burden of the bedtime and all those Mm -hmm. different things. Um, There's a lot of things that I'm hindered from, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going over to anyone's house to watch Monday night football tonight or Mm -hmm. anything like that. And um, we release podcasts on Tuesday. So Monday night football last Last night. night. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
And it's easy to think that, and that's why I used the word interruption earlier. It's mm-hmm. this child is keeping me from doing these things. But I, I think that that's such a good, a good reframing, Chris, is that this child is a part of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this child is entrusted to you. Right. And, and so when you think about God has given me for just a few years, and really over the grand scheme of your life, it is just a few years of ability to cultivate and protect yeah. a son or a daughter to, to where they can leave the house or they can, they can have the confidence to come back to you for yes. more cultivation and protection once yeah. they leave the house. I think that's a really noble thing for men mm-hmm. to keep in mind. Um, and then, and then a, a, th- a last thing I would say to fathers is regularly return to the throne of mercy and grace mm-hmm. so that you can be a throne of mercy and grace. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I am, my natural heart inclination is to be a throne of discipline. Uh, Don't my, I know it, Josh? <laughs> I, I I just my gut is Bob Newhart. Stop that. Stop it. <laughs> and if I'm not regularly returning to my Lord, who is long suffering and patient, who is mm-hmm. slow to anger when I'm quick to anger, who's abounding in steadfast love when I when I am reluctant to love, mm-hmm. if I'm not regularly re- returning to His throne of grace for mercy and help in the time of need, I won't embody the Father to yeah. my kids. And so then that even gives a purpose to your fellowship with God. I must go to the throne of grace or else I'm not going to be in a position yeah. to parent these children. Yeah. Um, so let's transition to, to mothers here, Chris. What do we do with the fact that God isn't called a mother in the New Testament? Does that leave women with no image to bear to their children as far as godly character? It's the end of the episode now, isn't it, Josh, right? That's... I like to serve you up with the juicy stuff. Yeah, I mean, of, of course not. It doesn't uh, doesn't do that by any stretch. I think there's the you know we look at roles and and offices that are filled, right? And there are certain aspects. I mean, you just think about the the aspects of of what we call the economic trinity, right? So the the ways in which each member of the Godhead functions in salvation. You know, it's the the Father's role to to elect. It's the Father's role to adopt into. It's the Son's role to to be the big brother, the, to be the redeemer. Uh, it's the spirit's role to uh, indwell and to lead and sanctify. I mean, these are different roles that each member of the Godhead serves. And so it, when it comes to parenting, uh, there's, there's nothing wrong uh, with the fact that there are different roles. Even, and, and even, even if those roles are not expressed in terms of, you know, I would, I would say similar to the, uh, the way that a wife reflects the church. To uh, you know the church's relationship to Jesus. Well, is that a divine role? No, it's not a divine role, but it reflects something of the divine, you know, reality of who is the church, who is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think we go back to the creation mandate. God's command is for man and woman, because humanity is male and female. That's what it says in the beginning. He created them male and female. And so the charge comes to men and women to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And that's what it's it's. The call is there. The call is there to do it for men and women alike. And so, you know, you think if there's a heart here to fill the earth and subdue it, and you think, okay, what, what is it then that women have the, the privilege of being a part of? All right, if men have the privilege of being a part of the, the cultivation and the protection of the family and the created order and so forth, what, what can women be a part of uh, that reflects their unique role? And I think there's, the, there's a, a nourishing aspect that that men don't have the you know I don't mean to sound kind of creepy with this but um, you always sound creepy 
Thank you. I appreciate that. That's that's good. Uh, but but you know, men physical component to nourishing. Yeah, there is a yeah physical component to it. Just the the female body is made in a way that the male body is not. Yeah. You know, and and try as people might today to monkey around with things, you just can't do it. Like you can't you can't substitute that. And so the the female body exists just to show. You think like how does how does God take care of His people? He protects His people, but He also provides in ways that are not just like well, here's fifty bucks. You know, sometimes a dad, that's all he can really afford to do if he's busy at work, that kind of thing. Here's 50 bucks. I can't spend time with you, and i got to go to work. You think a mom, you know, typically speaking, is freed up to be at home with her children and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to care for you. I'm going to nourish you from the time you are in my tummy until the time you leave. And even afterwards, I call my mom to this day if I'm looking for care. You know, it's not like I don't expect my dad to care for me, but, man, sometimes I just want to hear my mom. <laughs> I just want to hear my mom say something. It's going to be okay, son. I just want to hear that from my mom. Yeah. And so, you know, women have this, this unique take then on reflecting God's care of his people, uh, not because God is called a mother, because he is not, but because there are aspects of, of God's caring of his people that women uniquely image. Yeah, I, I think uh, going along the, those lines, you know, God is called the father of all comfort. And so you might go, well, comfort is a fatherly thing. Sure. I don't naturally view myself or a lot of the men I'm around as the automatic comforters sure. in the household. Yeah. That's not that men can't be comforting. And that, that's, you know, I feel like this disclaimer you always have to have in modern society is we're not saying that general principles right. are always binding. Yes. But we are saying that just because you observe them generally does not mean they're cultural, mm-hmm. right? And so if you observe that, hey, nine times out of 10, it seems to be that it's the mother whose heart goes out first, mm-hmm. the mother who's more naturally compassionate, right. the mother who's more naturally given to a word of comfort rather than a word of teaching or instruction. Yes. Yes. You know, I, I can sense in my heart that my first word might be, here's how you don't make that mistake again, <laughs> yeah. but my wife's first word might be, are you okay? Yeah. Right? And so when you see that, you have comfort, counsel, I mean, like, well, maybe not counsel in as much as comfort, but comfort, compassion. I'm thinking about Jesus at the tomb yeah. with Lazarus yep. and the uh, the weeping that he has, not because he's unable to fix the problem, but because he sees the sorrow over sin. Yeah. I find often that women are more naturally sympathetic, mm-hmm. not because they've been trained to be, that they've been, yeah. as, as, as a child, their parents were like, this is what girls do. Right. Girls like pink and they're sympathetic. Right. <laughs> That's not happening. It's just, you can see the woman's heart drawn towards. Yep. And I would say that that's a, a clear representation mm-hmm. of the father's heart being drawn towards us in Christ. Yeah. Um, I think that's a beautiful way that that women can image God and a beautiful way for for women to think about what their long-term eternal implications are mm-hmm. is is how do I have my heart towards this child in a means of comfort and compassion that when they're in their 40s they might still call yeah. me and say yeah. hey mom I'm not doing all right can you yep. can you love me yeah any and th- this is where you know going into treacherous territory here, but any uh, observations you have seen on maybe what could be challenging for mothers in terms of, we yeah. talked about what's challenging for men. Yeah, I think, I think probably the greatest challenge I see for mothers is, is the, I mean, men do this in their own way, but I see this on a much more deep and personal level for women is the tendency to compare, uh, mm. you know, mothering successes uh, with other women. And I, I think that I, this is, I just, I, I continue to beat the drum. I feel like social media has been such a, 
you know, I think many people look at it as, as a John blessing. Ralphio would say. <laughs> Let's it's hear the it. Worst. The worst. Yeah, exactly. It's a vehicle for comparison. It is a vehicle for comparison. And and for women who want to make sure they're doing things the right way, which is why earlier I mentioned, you know, how I see this in the church very, very clearly. Because we do believe that there's a right way and a wrong way of doing things. And so I, I have found then, unfortunately, that a lot of women will get so entrenched this day, like, man, if I don't do it like this, I'm doing it wrong. I'm absolutely doing this wrong. So I have to do it like this. And then there's this kind of a cult following that exists around this particular method, or we need to make sure the kids only eat free-range food, like just stuff like that. It's like, oh, you are failing as a mother if you don't do this. And it's like, no, this is not the way that it is to be. You're focusing on such small things compared to what you could be actually looking at are significant major things. And so I think the biggest pitfall that, that I see when it comes to, to being a mom is the idea that somehow you have to, your relationship to your unique child needs to be reflective of, of preferences and cultural values that really have no bearing on that child himself or herself. That you don't, you, know, you don't actually have to give a diet. Like, I mean, a lot of parents, you know, I've said this, it's, I guess it's kind of true at this point, but when you first have children, the first one child, you know, first child you have, second child you have, you're thinking, man, you know what I'm never going to do? I'm never going to give my kids McDonald's. <laughs> I'm never going to give McDonald's because it's so unhealthy for them. So unhealthy. And, and you know what? If they have a, a Happy Meal McDonald's, I know I'm failing as a parent because I know, you know, because my, uh, my husband and I or my wife and I, we have, we have adopted a, uh, an organic-only, um, gluten-free lifestyle. This is what we've done. And we know it's the healthiest thing in the world. And you know what? You, you get five years into parenting, you've had two, maybe three kids, and you realize it's not sustainable. It's because this is a preference issue. It's, it's not sinful to give your kid McDonald's. Now, you force-feed eight hamburgers at a time, your child, well, that's sinful altogether. Well, I think the issue of parenting, which, uh, you know, maybe in men, it would be more prone to, like, if I lash out in anger one time, I have become a failure in women, you might be more prone to, if I haven't done the right thing or cared or nurtured for yeah. my kid in the right way this one time, then that makes me yeah. a failure. And and sisters, I'll give you the, the metric that I try to use in ministry, because I often feel like a failure in ministry. It's faithfulness. Yeah. Um, when, you're, when you're dealing with people, faithfulness is your best metric. Yeah. Can I come before the Lord and say, I've sought with all my heart, mm-hmm. not even that I have been, like I, I, I've sought with all my heart to be faithful to this church. I've sought with all my right. heart to be faithful to this child. Yeah. And you know what? Faithfulness, when you think about a kid's diet, over the course of two weeks, you could fit a little McDonald's in there. <laughs> you probably shouldn't do it every day. Right. But the faithfulness metric allows for some wiggle room to say, yes, mm-hmm. I have done, I've gone in the right direction yep. <laughs> and I have sought to work unto the Lord for this mm-hmm. child, and I can rest knowing that that's what God calls me to yeah. do, is to be faithful. I think just like in ministry, in parenting, we have to look umbrella view faithfulness and yeah. say, and, and in that you can say, hey, actually, I haven't sought the Lord in this. Yeah. I haven't been diligent. I haven't been faithful. Yeah. I do need to course correct. But you can also often say, I have sought mm-hmm. the Lord. I have been faithful. Um, I think trust is another component. We talked about trust as a uniquely... Uh, f- feminine role slash challenge with the marriage component. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear a lot of women, particularly women with children out of the house, talking about the trust component, how mm. hard it is to relinquish sure. their children once they leave. Yep. And uh, 
And I think that that trickles down into women with children in the home as well. It seems to be a unique challenge of mm. like, God has given me this child to nurture and to care for. And what about when I can't? Yeah. And so there's a unique component of trust is mm-hmm. our, you know, uh, Jesus is, what was the verse you quoted last podcast? Um, trust the Lord while doing good. It was first Peter. Oh, and trust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And yeah. trust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What a beautiful verse for mothers. Yeah. Okay. And trust your souls to the faithful creator of your children and do good. Um, and then entrust yourself to him who judges justly. That's another verse yeah. from first Peter, this, this, this thrust of entrust yourself to the Lord who mm-hmm. has entrusted you with this children, be faithful, do good. You might think of Psalm 37, uh, yeah. trust in the Lord and do good. Wait for the Lord patiently, mm-hmm. commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and befriend he will act. Faithfulness. Befriend yeah. faithfulness. Um, if you're a young mom who's more prone to reading internet blogs, about how to be a good mom than reading the scriptures. I would yeah. encourage you that, that committing your way to the Lord and trusting in him that he will act, read the scriptures yeah. <laughs> because those, those blogs, they're going to give you a lot of modern information, a lot of means of comparison, uh, yeah. but God has given us, particularly in the wisdom literature, things like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. and the Psalms has given us wisdom yeah. in how to parent. And oftentimes I think some of our being tossed around can come from seeking sources of wisdom outside of the Bible because we think the Bible is insufficient for parenting. And that cuts both ways. Fathers, when you're looking on what do I teach my kid to protect them? Look to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Mothers, when you're looking at what do I teach my kids or how do I know if I'm being faithful? Look to the scriptures and they give us a steady foundation of what it means to commit ourselves to the Lord, Mm -hmm. what it means to trust in him and know that he will act. Amen. Um, I guess that's it. Yeah, no more time to think. Yeah. We have time to go to a staff meeting now. We do. Well, thanks for taking some time to think. We hope that this was fruitful conversation. We hope that there was some maybe ways to challenge some thinking, some encouragements on different ways of thinking. Um, all in all, I would sum up the parenting podcast in Read Psalm 127. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Bible, Psalm 127. Yeah. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Uh, yeah. Lord, may you help us view children as not a burden, but as a part of us, mm. um, as a unique chance for us to engage in the cultural mandate of guarding and keeping, of comforting and nurturing, of nourishing and cherishing, all these beautiful things. And, uh, and, and Lord, may you help us see your grace and your mercy and mm. your steadfastness and your heart towards us all the more as we engage with our hearts towards our children. Amen. Thanks for taking some time to think.